This is the Future X Podcast. In each episode, we interview a platform designer, author, or publisher. They'll talk about how to build online communities that are diverse, welcoming, and safe. Now, here's your host, Lee Schneider. Danielle Desir Corbett is an author, podcaster, and podcast marketing coach. She hosts two podcasts, Women of Color Podcasters and The Thought Card Podcast. She publishes grants for creators on Substack, and she's the mother of a one-year-old child. And I probably left something out. We're going to talk about how to manage multiple projects. And in keeping with the theme of this podcast, we'll talk about how to build community for your projects. In Danielle's case, building community around many projects. Danielle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me and for creating this space where I can talk about all the projects I have. Right. Um, I love that you mentioned their projects because I use the same terminology as well. Cool. Well, you have so many creative projects and you're a parent. How do you keep it all organized? Well, I'd say I'm still trying to figure it out because every stage of parenthood over the last year has looked a little bit different. So as a newborn, I can put him down next to me and have him soundly sleep. And right now he is running around saying Coco Melon (laughs) (laughs) and Daddy and Dada, and he is such a handful. So I'm still trying to figure it out. But one thing I would say has been really helpful is waking up early. So I try to open my eyes at 5 a.m. and probably hit the snooze button a couple times, twice, and I get out of bed at 5.30. So that an hour and a half to two hours, depending on when I could wake up, really gives me the time to be by myself and to get creative work done, which has been really helpful. So I kind of feel like every morning I wake up, I'm like, this is a hack that I can just like have two extra hours of just me time. So I get a lot of work done through that. And also, I have a short to-do list that I create the night before. So before going to bed, I know what my morning is going to look like, what my game plan for the day is, which really allows me to have clarity to really go after it as soon as I wake up and I know what I'm doing. Uh, Balancing, I would say I also have a lot of support from my husband and also my family and extended family. So like right now for this podcast episode, um, he's being watched by his Mima, which is very nice. So I have a lot of support in that regards to be able to have the time and space to create and just get work done as an entrepreneur. Those are all wonderful ideas. I especially love the extra hour or two. I call it the 25th hour, or the in your case, the 27th hour of the day. It's really helpful. What do you do to recharge? Great point. I would say that it used to be running. So I love long distance running. And that used to be what I would do to recharge and clear my head, especially when I was like writing books. For some reason, like having a sweaty run and a long distance run was really helpful. So these days I don't even know. It's just, it's hard as, as a, especially as a new parent, I feel like it's hard. And also we decided not to do childcare. So I'm a stay at home full time with my baby. So 
I think those small moments, like when he's napping, having some downtime, just mindlessly scrolling on YouTube has been really helpful. Uh, Going for walks with my dog has been helpful as well. Listening to podcasts, decompressing, and traveling often, which is part of my job, but it also just provides like this new surrounding for me to get inspiration and just kind of be outside of my element. So I do try to have a mini adventure or travel at least once a month with my family or myself. So that has also been really helpful. Um, but it's few and far between these days. <laughs> few and far between. Really? Because that was such a big part of your early blogging and early community building and so much stuff seemed travel oriented. So you're not doing as much. So it's interesting. Uh, I would say the first, I would say the first nine months, I really wasn't really traveling that much. But since then, I've ramped it up and I'm traveling about like once a month, whether that's like to a neighboring state or across the country. Um, so that that has been helpful. But I really stress giving myself enough time to to go and do that. And making sure I have all the things covered between family life and work life to be able to do that. Um, so I do travel quite a bit now, a year and a half later. <laughs> yeah. Now, when people read up on they're going to see a vast experience worldwide. And if I were to ask you, what would you do on a day off? Most people would say, well, every day sounds like a day off to me. But. Probably not, right? I mean, there must. What do you do that is the counterweight, the counterbalance to all the writing and work and traveling and community building that you're doing now? I would say counterbalance is spending time with my family and logging off of the computer, and I would even say logging off of like just no screen time. So that has been really helpful to just kind of log off because if my phone is nearby and it pings, I'm going to look at it, see it's a client, and then I get wrapped into that, into that world. Also intentional, intentionally like taking time off. Like sometimes my partner comes to me and says, you know, like you've been working a lot. And sometimes I would think of as a compliment, like, yes, I'm working hard. But sometimes I do take it as feedback as, okay, maybe it's a good time to kind of rest and to take a step back. Something else is that I don't do the same type of creative work every day. And I was thinking about this earlier is that my days look very different. So, for example, today I was doing more administrative work and sending pitches and corresponding with folks versus tomorrow is probably going to be like an episode scripting day where I'm doing research and watching videos and putting together an episode. And then the next day is writing a blog post. So I try my best to decompartmentalize admin tasks and creative tasks. And even if I do both tasks in a day, I try to do like my my 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. shift will be like my most creative work. Because I know when I wake up, I have the most creative energy to to do that type of work versus at evening time, I can just do more of like the admin drudgery things. 
So I think knowing yourself and knowing where you shine bright is so important because then you can allocate those hours to get the task done. So that has been really helpful. Um, even when I was just a side hustler and I was just doing this as a hobby, like I knew early morning was always for me, not for like my nine to five job. Yeah, my problem has always been trying to cram 100 pounds into a 50 pound day. And I've learned that I really only have four hours of solid concentrated work every day, maybe five, maybe. So I try to time out where I'm going to end up. Because if I look at my schedule and I got nine hours on there, I'm just going to end up disappointed at the end of the day. So, and part of this is compartmentalizing. That's an interesting idea because you have so many communities and maybe you're going to correct me and say, no, no, they're really all the same community. But with women of color podcasters, your consulting work, the travel work, uh, and the other things that I mentioned, it seems like you have a lot of hats to wear. Is that right? Or does it work differently? You're, you are 100% right. And I'm trying to do a better job these days as to my messaging. Like when someone asks me, what do you do? There is a continuity between all of my projects. They are all helping to build wealth. They're all financial focus and aimed at achieving success, whether that's having a travel-filled life, winning a grant, marketing and growing your podcast and getting sponsorships. Like everything is like helping to reach a success. So that's the string. It just looks different strategy-wise and tactical-wise. But uh, it is three, I would say it's like three core businesses in under my one, under me. <laughs> so there's the Grants for Creators newsletter. There's the Thought Card brand, which is travel and personal finance. That's like my content media site. And then there's Women of Color Podcasters, which is very community oriented, resource heavy, connections heavy. So I do have to think about it as three separate, but I'm doing a better job in terms of bringing it all together, making sure that all of my audiences know the full breadth that I can offer versus just only feeling comfortable with only sharing one side of myself. Well, let's break it down a little and, and get into those separate projects. Women of Color Podcasters, it's a podcast and a community. It's right. It's There's a lot going on there. So, so could you explain to the listeners, what's going on there? Absolutely. So a lot of what I've realized as I create a new project, I deepen the funnel of that project. So when I first launched Women of Color Podcasters, it was a community. It was a Facebook group. And after the Facebook group, I realized we're doing amazing work in insulary, but how about outside? I want people outside to know we exist and be able to signal boost and, and attract more members. So we created our website. And then on the website, we realized, okay, we need more content. We need to be found and using like searchability and that sort of thing. So we started a blog and we're approaching our five-year anniversary. And I really felt that the gap right now that I'm seeing is the lack of visibility for women of color in the podcasting industry. So I felt that the easiest and most proficient way I can do that is by having a podcast. And 
So it's kind of an evolution, right? Like you start something, you start a project, you see a need, you start exploring that need and you offer another layer, another asset to the bunch. But today I would say Women of Color Podcasters is a private podcasting community and also a podcast. So those are two arms. One's marketing and one is a community arm. It's how I discovered you first. That was my way in because I was looking to build diversity on this podcast. I Googled, guess what terms, and you came up. So it works for listeners thinking about, okay, how do I be found? Think about discoverability. Think about searchability. And also, there's something very positive in the podcast that you show up a lot. It's a live podcast. It, it's there. Uh, you're, you're still doing them. They're, they're happening all the time. And that makes a big difference rather than just a put up a website and forget about it kind of thing. You know what's so funny, which uh -huh. was another reason as to why I was like, okay, the podcast is the best thing to do. So there was someone who wanted to join our community, but they weren't sure because our blog was static. So they looked at the dates of our blog posts and they were older. So they questioned if we were active and we lost that initial like member to come and join us. So that made me really realize like content marketing is like very important for visibility, for growth, for income, especially if you're in this media space. So I feel that the podcast is the best lever that we can pull because in addition to the audio file, we also do write a, like a 2000 word article on our site that matches that episode. So we get two for one. So I really feel that I love that you found us through that search right? Um, it's the intentionality behind it. And even now I'm thinking about what's next, like what's the next gap can I fill? Not ready to partake in the gap filling, but I am thinking about what's next though. Let's shift gears and talk about the thought card project and brand. What is that and how have you been getting the word out about that? Yes. So if you're keeping track, project number two. So <laughs> project number two, I launched uh, in 2015. So we recently celebrated our eighth year anniversary. And the whole premise behind that brand, it's a blog and podcast. It's about financially savvy-ness, meaning that empowering financially savvy travelers to travel more pay off debt, build wealth, and explore entrepreneurship. So I say it's half travel and half money because I believe that money can help you to travel and live your dream life or it can hinder. And I've been on both sides where I was able to do a lot of travel and I also was at the point where I didn't, it wasn't, it was not able to do a lot of travel as a result of finances. So that's been my brand since 2015. And it's my intro to all things content creation. It's where I experimented. It's where I found my voice. I never thought of myself as an eloquent writer. And I still don't, but I do feel like I'm a stronger writer eight years in now than I did at the beginning. And then the podcast, 
I was admiring other podcasts and I was curious as to starting one because I felt like there was this intimacy and this connection with the host that I had after listening to them for years on end. So instead of starting a new podcast with a whole different theme and, you know, creating another project, I decided to, again, deepen the funnel and I created a podcast for the thought card. And that became a place where I could interview other financially savvy travelers, explore concepts on my own, share my travel stories. And for, I would say, 75% of the time, it was, I, I thought of myself as like a podcast first. I thought of myself as a podcaster first for a while. But now I'm realizing to leverage both your podcast, your website, and your blog. I'm like this hybrid at this point. So I am a podcaster and I'm also a blogger because I, I get to do both parts to grow my brand and business. And let's broaden that to project three, the Substack grants for creators. Now, first of all, I'm very curious, why did you start that? Yeah, so project three is grants. And what I do in that project is that I search for grants that are relevant for U.S.-based creatives, entrepreneurs, founders, and small businesses. How that started was I actually am trained as a grants administrator. So my nine-to-five life, I was a grants administrator leading a team, helping physicians find grant opportunities and apply for grant opportunities. And it's a industry, it's a subset of healthcare that I fell into and I absolutely loved it and crushed it. It was really good at my job. And a couple of years ago, I started seeing funding opportunities that I could apply to as a creator. So I applied and 2020 was an amazing year for grant funding even though everything else was awful. But for grant funding, I won three grants that year as a podcaster, which my reaction was similar to yours. I My eyes was wide open. I was like, this is like incredible and weird. Like what? I am <laughs> not a lawyer. I'm not a brick and mortar. I am not, I'm providing entertainment, edutainment, right? Education and entertainment on a podcast. And here I was winning thousands of dollars to support my project. And that was amazing. So I kept on getting deeper and deeper into grants, diving into the world, looking for more opportunities, sharing those opportunities with my friends. After a while, I felt like my friends were like, Danielle, I'm just tired of you sending me things. Like, it's too much. So I had this thought, maybe Kay gave my thought, my son gave me this thought while I was pregnant to start a newsletter where I would just share what I found. And I decided to use Substack in particular. It's a, pla a newsletter platform because of the paywall feature. I knew that this was a project that I didn't want to get trapped in the cycle of offering 100% of the content for free because it's such a valued skill and it's so time consuming to do. So I really wanted this project to be subscriber-led. So for the first year, I experimented a lot and I did charge to get access to the entire list. And the reaction of 
folks was just, I was just stunned by how many creators just were so excited of the prospect of this funding opportunity, right? Typically, we feel like we have to either be a consultant, a coach, sell a product, sell a service. But now grants is like on their radar. So my goal with that project is to really change the conversation to allow creators to opt in and say, yes, I'm a small business worthy of grant funding, just like any other brick and mortar. And it's been amazing to see that project grow and go viral and take off. So that's my third project. Are there, I have to ask out of curiosity, it's not on the question list. Are there a lot of opportunities for creatives in the grant world? There are a lot of opportunities, yes. So last year, we sourced 655, was shared last year in a newsletter. And a large majority of them were for creators, meaning authors, journalists, photographers, filmmakers, podcasters, even uh, writers. There's just so many opportunities that are specific for your craft but also more general, like small business as well, there are even opportunities that will fund an idea. As long as you have a great idea that's in line with the mission of the grantor or the funder, there could be potential opportunity to help you bring that vision to life. So it's one of those things that you have to see to believe, which I encourage people to just join, see what I share, and then you might get excited and, and tap into something. You know, there's a podcaster who won $50,000 for their project. They found grants through us. And I'm like, wow, can you imagine what that could do? Right. So Mm. it's pretty incredible. What do you say to people who might say, oh, grants, proposals, I don't know how to do that. That's really hard. I don't even want to get started. You know, that is what I thought grants were. But when you start looking at at the for-profit space, which is what we are, right? We're for-profits, we're not nonprofits. Applications vary from like two to three questions all the way to give me everything like your W-2s and your W, all of those things, right? All of, give me your social and all of those. So it runs the gamut from minimal effort all the way up to extensive, like the government grants that we typically can think of. It varies. So I would just say, give it a shot. Take a look at what these grants look like. And here's a hack that I do is I actually have a mega document with all the questions I've ever answered. And majority of the time, the questions are very similar. Like, tell me about your business. How will you use this funds? How do you impact your community? These are all the same, they all, it's like all basic questions that they just need to know to be able to understand who you are and who you serve. So there's a lot of duplication. That's part one. And then part two, with this revival and just excitement of AI, there are AI grant writing tools out there that if you input your grant proposals or your answers to your questions, they will help to remix it and to improve it. So you can use these sorts of tools to really help you save time. But there's a lot of repetition, and it's probably a lot easier than you think. That mega document 
That's brilliant. What a great idea. It's so true. That's a, that's a great piece of advice. I love that. Let's think about newsletters a little bit more deeply because charging for a newsletter could be a pretty high hurdle for some to get. But I know that newsletters that I pay for are like yours. They have a specific subset of knowledge that is irreplaceable. I just won't get that anywhere else. So I could readily see, wow, she's got a lot of expertise. I'm going to get some really good stuff here. I will totally pay for this. The only other newsletters I pay for are Today in Tabs, which is kind of a review of the media landscape written by a very snarky character. And I pay for Platformer, which is a look at the digital world. And those are written by two people who happen to be super experts in that domain. They just own that. So is that the only and best way to create a newsletter that's worth charging for? Or am I missing something? Is there another way in? You know, that's one way in. But I also think that if you have an established framework, an established brand, or you want to offer exclusivity in terms of your content, then having a paywall may be something that your fans and your community may be interested in supporting, right? So for me and my newsletter, it's like I'm providing a service, right? It's not a support. I mean, some people I'm sure support the project, but the expectation is that they're going to get grants, like find grants in a newsletter that are a good match for them. So when people subscribe, unsubscribe to the newsletter, they'll typically say, I'm not in the good headspace right now to source and, re you know, browse through these opportunities or I'm not finding opportunities that are a good fit for me. So that to me signals that this is a service I'm providing. And it's not like they're supporting out of the goodness of their heart. They want to see this project continue. It's not, it's typically not like that. But I do know of people who support projects and me included that you just love the creator, right? This is why Patreon was so successful and is still successful for so, so many people because of the fact that people want to support and they want to see this work continue. So I do think that there's a service side, but there's also the support side. So it's a matter of trying it out, right? When I started my newsletter, I wasn't sure, right? It was a kind of a new concept and, and I wasn't sure. So I actually started off with the free, everything was free. And then I turned on the paywall after a good trial period. But if I didn't try, I would have never known and figured out. And to be honest, because of the amount of time it takes and effort it takes to put this newsletter together, like I have two team members right now, paid team members, it would not have been able to sustain this if I didn't have the help. So that paywall really did save this project. Those are all great ideas about manifesting and monetizing these projects. We've heard about podcasts, newsletter, community, a slightly different way into each but a certain commonality in wanting to build the material, wanting to be out there, wanting to be present. Well, is there anything that I missed, first of all, that I that uh, I should we should bring in? And I'll ask those questions. So I think that it may be easy to look at like the portfolio, my body of work, and and it'd be so like 
it's so overwhelming to think about to create all of these projects and all of these opportunities. But for me, it was always about following my current path, following my interests. So all of my projects are related to different aspects of my interests. And if those interests end up changing, I can always, I always have an exit plan, whether that's to sell it or close it down. You know, there's, there's, it, I think it's important to follow your authenticness and, and what you're interested in and, and lean in that versus like throwing all the spaghetti at the wall and trying to fabricate something because someone said so. That's my like lasting piece of advice is just lean into what you're interested in, experiment, know that you will fail and look silly sometimes with like egg on your face. But all of these are lessons for what's to come in the future. Definitely. I really love that. Caring about what you do. This is so much work anyway. You may as well follow your interests and shutting it down. You know, it's an option. But if it doesn't work, sometimes it's hard to have the courage to say, you know, this is not quite hanging in there the way I thought. I'm going to have to stop. It takes courage to do that. But I can see where the the failure is an option idea is there. But I can see where you have to experiment a bit in this to find out what's going to resonate with people. One, me, you may be totally interested in something, and we won't know exactly if others are going to connect with that until we put it out there in some format. There are so many ideas I have on my phone that have never seen a light of day, and so many ideas that I've ran with and then quietly just shut down <laughs> because <laughs> it just didn't take off, right? So you have to be open to to both sides and it takes courage to put yourself out there and it takes courage also to put things back in the closet or you know back and just erase it um but that's part of entrepreneurship being a creator being a creative and really creating your own path right there's no handbook or rule book of what this looks like. It's really all dependent on you. We could share, you know, gems and strategies, but you really have to put the time to figure out what's going to work for you long-term. Yeah, the passion has to be there. And also the other thing I find so important is a feedback loop. You're listening to what the audience is telling you. They love this. They don't like that. This is your most popular podcast episode. This is your least popular podcast episode. This blog got a billion, you know, visits and hits. This one kind of was very quiet. And trying to take in all that and listen to that really helps just craft a pathway for you so you can do it better next time. Absolutely. Absolutely. That feedback is so important. And feedback can can look like so many different things, right? It could be a rating or review. It could just mean the lack of views or the influx of views, right? So, but I also feel like with the feedback, also be true to yourself too, right? One example of that is that when I first was launching my podcast, I went on Instagram. I put up a poll on Instagram stories asking folks if they'd be interested in listening to my podcast. And 70% of people said no. And I was like, Oh, 
you guys are funny because five years later, we're like, we're crushing it. But like, if I would have initially got the feedback and and really let it like seep in, I feel like I would have missed out on so many opportunities. So take it with a grain of salt at the end of the day too. I mean, I've gotten, recently got some very negative feedback for a project of mine. And I was pretty depressed for a day or two. But then I realized, you know, it's going to happen. Like, not everything's going to be perfect. And there will be haters, unfortunately. But there will also be people whose, whatever they say, you might be able to get something out of. So I try to find the positive nugget. It's not always easy. And I do give myself a period of mourning or a period of being just pissed off or a period of just being bummed. Uh, it's okay. You know, if someone says this is this is not going to work, it's okay to be annoyed about that. I don't have to be Mr. Sunshine all the time. But there has to be a way out of it too. <laughs> there has to be a way to learn something from it. Absolutely. You know, uh, for the Thought Card brand, I work with a lot of sponsors and brands on partnerships. And the amount of no's that I hear, no thank you, not right now, no budget, little budget, all of those, it compounds on each other, right? And you can feel like this just sadness and you may start to question yourself and you're like, I'm just never going to reach out to a brand again. But it's just not right now. So it's just not right now, especially for that kind of situation. So I definitely understand where you're getting rejected and it sucks, but you have to keep going. You have to find that moment of mourning, like you said, and just pushing through to continue on with your project. Right. It's a belief thing. It's a belief in oneself, belief in yourself that this is going to work somehow. It may not work in this flavor. It may not work with this title, but something about this is going to work. And you just have to kind of stick with that, even though it can be difficult sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Danielle, thanks so much for all that. Those great stories and great advice. I really appreciate your taking the time to be on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us on the Future X Podcast. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google, or anywhere fine podcasts appear in your feed. Post a comment on Apple Podcasts and we'll read it on the show. For more info about FutureX, visit futurex.studio.